good to see a flow of the Holy Spirit in this place today for healing. And um, I, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. The title of my sermon tonight is Mind the Gap. Mind the Gap. Ezekiel 22 verse 30. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with fire, the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Mind the gap. This is a very powerful scripture because set in its historical context, we see that God is looking at judgment coming to the nation of Israel. And that judgment had been coming for centuries. And this judgment was going to crystallize in the Jewish people being taken in captivity to Babylonian. But it's interesting how God was looking for someone to stand in that gap, to mind the gap between Israel's unrighteousness and God's holiness. There was a gap. There was a gap between God and his people, and there was no bridge to gap it. And it wasn't because of God's fault or because of his heart. He says, I sought, I looked for a person among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I have poured my indignation upon them. This is a, an important principle that we can look at at many different levels. We can look at it, that basically it's a principle of, of prayer and spiritual warfare. In this case, a nation's destiny was at stake. But we'll see how this can also, uh, the same principles can be in our churches and also our personal life, that we need to mind the gap. And God is looking for people that will mind the gap and bridge the gap between him and situations of judgment. And so God was looking for someone who would be a priest. When we talk about a priestly nation, Israel itself was meant to be a light to the nations, a priestly nation. Uh, Israel is very special to God. It has a prominence before him that hasn't changed. See that in the New Testament. But their role was to bring the knowledge of God to all the other nations. Israel was meant to be a minister to all the other nations, a servant minister, the nation of Israel, to bring God to the others. In the New Testament, we find that the church is called a priestly nation. We are priests, the priesthood of all believers. Each one of you, if you're a Christian here tonight, you're a priest. It's not right in certain denominations, it's just not right to say that you're ordained a priest, that you have the priests and the people, the laity. 
It's incorrect. It's not New Testament at all. There is no special class of priests in the New Testament. Yes, people are separated to be apostles, pastors, teachers, um, evangelists, and prophets. Yes, there are people set apart to be elders and overseers, but no one in the body of Christ is separated apart from the rest of the body to be a priest. We are all priests, male, female, all priests, a priestly nation. Well, what does that mean? What does a priest do? Well, a priest stands in the gap between God and the judgment in a situation and brings reconciliation. Think of Jesus. He is the high priest, isn't he? In the order of Melchizedek. Not, not the law, not Levi, but Jesus is a high priest. And what is he doing right now? He lives, Hebrews tells us that right now, most of Jesus' ministry has been minding the gap. What do I mean by that? Three years' ministry on earth, but 2,000 years living evermore to make intercession for us. What does that mean, make intercession? It means he's bridging the gap between his Father and our need. Bridging the gap between his Father and our sin. He is making intercession. As we are gathered here tonight, the Lord Jesus is praying for each one of us. Do you know that? And thank God the Father hears him. When Jesus died on the cross, what was that? It was the supreme act of minding the gap. Because there was a huge gap between God and humankind. And that gap was sin. Sin is real and it matters. Sin separates us from God. God is a God of love, but he is equally a God of holiness and justice. He is the judge of the universe. And just as we expect human judges to bring justice... So how much more do we expect the God of all in righteousness to bring justice? And the only right thing for the judge of all mankind to do when he sees sin and rebellion is to judge it. And the penalty of sin is death. Not just physical death that we've all experienced since Adam, but also spiritual death. This is the judgment. But Jesus, God's only son, became man. And this is the story of Advent. Today is Advent Sunday, the first day in Advent. So you can open up number one on your Advent candle and have that chocolate, if you've got those Advent candles with chocolates in. And Advent is all about God bridging the gap that we could not bridge between his righteousness and holiness and our sin and sinful condition. And how did he bridge the gap? He sent his son, the word, from heaven to earth to bridge the gap, to make a bridge between his father and a judged humanity. He was bridging the gap. And on the cross when he died, he was bridging the gap. He took our sin upon himself, the sinless son of God, the lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world on the cross he took your sins so that if you have faith in him, if you believe that he's the savior and who he says he is and that he's raised from the dead, then there is a bridge. His name is Jesus. And by faith you walk over him into the loving arms of your father. 
So this principle of intercession and priesthood is a vital principle for us today. As he lives evermore for intercession, so intercession is a key part of the Christian life. Here, Ezekiel said, God was looking for one person. One person through their prayers to speak to him and be a bridge, to bridge that gap. And instead of wrath, pleading for mercy. We see this again and again as a principle for men and women of God in the Bible and today. We can think of um, Abraham. Do you remember Abraham? And Abraham is the father of all who believe. We walk in his footsteps. He is the Old Testament model of a New Testament believer. And do you remember that time when he, when he was outside Sodom and Gomorrah? And God said, I'm going to let you know, Abraham, because you know me well, that I am going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah was ripe for judgment. And what did Abraham do? He said, give it to them, Lord. I mean, rain down that fire and rain down that thunder and lightning. He didn't do that, did he? Abraham, who was a righteous man by faith, no, he saw an opportunity to mind the gap and to stand in the gap between judgment and mercy. And he began to intercede, didn't he, with the Lord God. He began to say, what if you find, say, 50 uh, righteous men in the city? Will you judge it? And God says, no, if I find that. And then he brings it down. He barters with God. Typical Middle Eastern. <laughs> Bartering with God. Like in a marketplace, what if there's ten, what if there's one? And God says, listens to him and responds to his intercession. Was Abraham more merciful than God? Of course not. It was God that was moving Abraham by his Holy Spirit to pray. But Abraham nevertheless interceded and God was listening. Now in the end we know that Sodom and Gomorrah was, was judged, but not because Abraham interceded for them. We think also of the great example of Moses and how he bridged the gap continually between a terrible, sinful, rebellious generation in the wilderness and God's righteousness. And there was a time when, when he came down with the very law of God and Moses found them with a the golden calf and God said, that's it. I've had it. I have been so patient and he said, Moses, Moses, I am going to judge them. I'm going to destroy them. I am going to give them exactly the measure that they deserve. And, what did, and then he said to Moses, and by the way, I'm going to start all over again with you. Moses would have been like a second Abraham. So he was going to wipe out the whole of that rebellious people. And then he was going to say, Abraham, now your descendants will be like Abraham's descendants. It was promotion for Moses. And what did Moses do? He minded the gap. He didn't ignore the gap. He didn't walk away from the gap. He didn't pretend the gap was there. God had told him about this gap. The gap between God's righteousness and their sin. And what did Abraham do? Pleaded mercy pleaded mercy, began to intercede, began to bridge the gap, pleaded with the Lord, reminded the Lord of his goodness, and reminding the Lord of his deliverance, reminded God, it was you in the first place that began this deliverance of this people. Why would you destroy them? And 
And as he minded the gap and stood in the gap, God heard him. And one man saved a generation from destruction. This is a principle of scripture. I'd like us to go to Daniel chapter 9, please. Book of Daniel chapter 9. Now, of course, Daniel is in Babylon, and he's there. The, the, nobody stood in the gap, and Israel was judged by God because there was no intercessor. And Israel was taken captivity, and here we are in captivity. But we're going to see how Daniel minded the gap in intercession and turned things around. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Assurius, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So what are we seeing? We are seeing that Daniel is in the word of God. He's not just there in captivity, just saying, well, whatever, what a fine mess we've got ourselves into. He is reading and reading the prophecies, reading the word of God and looking to see if there's anything that God is speaking to that nation today. And he comes across this passage in Jeremiah, that Jeremiah had prophesied that the captivity of the Jews in Babylon would only last 70 years. It's worth going to that prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 29. We'll start with verse 8 so we can see a context. Jeremiah 29 and verse 8. Jeremiah at the time, of course, was prophesying to the nation before it was taken captive. And he says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Isn't it amazing to think that Daniel read that very passage in captivity in Babylon? If we go back to Daniel Chapter 9, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the words of the Lord to Jeremiah, 
the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And so what did Daniel do with this? Well, he immediately realized that God had put in motion a prophecy that would bring deliverance and freedom to his present situation. What he didn't do was sit back and say, oh, well, God said it, I believe it, God can get on with it. I'll just sit back and and wait to see it happen. No, he understood that although that was a prophecy, someone had to bridge the gap between prophecy and fulfillment. Do you know, I see over you right now, just seeing it in the spirit, I see over you right now prophecies, words, prophecies and words. Like Daniel saw it over his captivated people. I can see it clearly in the spirit over you. Prophecies and words over your life. But what am I going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to sit back and say, well, therefore they'll come to pass. No. We have to understand that God is looking for somebody that will mind the gap. I mean, actually pay mind, number one, to the fact that there is a gap. When you're in the underground tube station and you have it written there on the floor, mind the gap, it's not there to be ignored, is it? Or when those doors open and you hear that voice, mind the gap, please mind the gap, please mind the gap, mind the gap. You need to be mindful of the gap or else it's very dangerous because if you're not mindful of the gap, you might fall through it. It's not rocket science, it's just health and safety, isn't it? Well... We need to be mindful of the gap between prophecy and fulfillment. We need to be mindful of the gap between God's judgment and sinful situations and say, well, who is going to bridge that gap? And Daniel, his response in verse 3, takes up the whole of the chapter almost, of chapter 9. And what is it? It is Daniel standing in the gap. I won't read it all, but it's wonderful. There's so much that I'm not going to read it all. He says, Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer in pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. We don't have time tonight, but it's a wonderful prayer to read and go into because it shows you how a person can identify with a situation and how to intercede. It's a prayer about how to stand in the gap. How to stand in the gap between righteousness and human sin. How to stand in the gap between prophecy and fulfillment. And you'll find in that prayer a lot of identification identifying with God and who God is and how God feels about the situation, but also identifying with those that caused the situation. Daniel was a righteous man, but in this prayer, he stood in the shoes of the unrighteous and pleaded their case and pleaded for mercy. Look at it, verse 3. I turned my face to God, seeking him by prayer. What were your prayers? Please for mercy. May I ask you, how many of your prayers are please for mercy? Maybe we need to bring more pleas for mercy into our prayer at every level for individuals, situations, and even nations. We certainly need a lot of people to turn their face to the Lord and plead for mercy for London. 
Those of you that have been around us for years, do you remember Grace for the City? We still hold Grace for the City meetings, but Grace for the City originated through a revelation that came to our senior minister, Colin Dye, in the mid-late 90s, I think around that time. And we were very aware in the mid-90s about the judgment that was over this city. You don't have to be a prophet to see that. The judgment over this nation, you don't have to be a prophet to see it over Europe. You don't have to be a prophet to see it. You'd have to be an idiot not to see that Europe is under judgment. Although there are there those that are out there preaching that don't believe there's any judgment over Europe. The wrath of God is revealed. And Colin had three prophecies that God said would show signs of his judgment. One was a bridge breaking down, which took place, the Hammersmith Bridge. Um, one was, was a pollution of the water that took place with flooding, and another was a fire in the um, uh, financial region. And these things came to pass. But alongside the revelation of judgment, one day Colin was praying and he saw over the city of London a great angel, a huge angel towering over the city of London. And in his arms he had this huge bowl of golden liquid, golden shining liquid. And the angel was sort of moving around and as he was moving around, the liquid began to slop and drip and bits were coming out of the bowl and falling onto the city and Colin's immediate response was, oh my goodness, it's the bowls of wrath. It's a picture of revelation, the bowls of wrath. God is pouring out his wrath for the city, but he heard the Holy Spirit speak to him and say, this isn't my wrath, this is my mercy, and that there is yet more mercy for this city, and we believe that, don't we? Otherwise we will pack up and leave. There's still more mercy for Europe. We believe that, don't we? Otherwise, let's leave. Let's go off somewhere like Brazil and have a great revival time and enjoy ourselves. There's still more mercy. And so we began a series of meetings seeking the Lord for grace for the city. And that theme is still very much part of who we are as a church today. We had grace for the city meetings last year and we'll be having some more next year. So he was pleading for mercy and God was looking for someone to stand in the gap, to mind the gap. Many people don't mind the gap. Many people aren't concerned about the gap between God's righteousness and the rebellion of Europe. They're not bothered about it, but someone has to rise up and say, we've got to mind the gap. We've got to build a bridge. We've got to turn judgment to mercy. We've got to play our part, part as priests, not just in prayer, but in action, in proclaiming the gospel, in ministry, being priests to Europe and turning wrath and judgment into mercy and grace. And so there's this wonderful prayer that I don't want to go into, but I just wanted to make it there for you as he saw the revelation of the word of Jeremiah. And then we come to um, Daniel chapter 10 and verse 2. Still speaking about this prayer, it says, In those days, Daniel 10, 2, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, 
nor did I anoint myself at all for full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphas around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision with no strength with, was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sounds of his words, and as I heard the sounds of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep. He passed out with the, my face to the ground. The anointing was so strong, he passed out. He couldn't cope with it. Praise God. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he'd spoken this word to me, I'd stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words have been heard. And I have, become, I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision of the days is yet to come. Now, what was happening here is a great insight into what happens when you pray God's rhema word. You see, Daniel didn't just pray, he found God's word to pray. He found, his, he found the rhema word. We'll look perhaps at Ephesians chapter 6, 17. In Ephesians chapter 6, if you remember, it talks about the whole armor of God. Breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, belt of truth, shoes of the gospel of peace, these types of things. But you know, shield of faith. But you know, you can have all the armor of God, but if you go into the battle, what good is it if you don't have an offensive weapon? Imagine going into the battle, this is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So can you imagine you're going into battle, against a spiritual battle, not against the flesh and blood, but spirits, real persons, but spirits, and you've got your helmet, the breastplate, the belt, and your shield and your shoes. You'll stand there, and there'll be raining blows on you, and you'll be protected, but will you be taking ground? Why? Because you're just standing there being hit. That's your defense. But we know that in Ephesians, later on in 6.17, it talks about taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, 
the word for word of God. There's two words for word in the New Testament. Logos and Rhema. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was God and the Logos was with God. And the Logos became flesh. That speaks about the word of God and the general word. But the Rhema word of God, the Rhema speaks about the spirit taking the word and making it living and active in a situation. That's why the sword of the spirit is the rhema word of God. God's word breathed on and given to you, living and active. And so the sword of the spirit is what we use. And Ephesians then goes on to say, praying using this sword. How do you use your sword? Through prayer, through, com uh, through confession. This sword. Daniel understood this principle. He found the rhema word for the situation that he was in. He found it. He'd read Jeremiah. He was reading the prophets. And eventually, bang, that's the word. I reckon the Holy Spirit moved him when he read it. It wasn't just a mental, oh, 70 years, that's about up. The Holy Spirit highlighted that word, made it from logos to rhema. And he said, this is my sword. For every situation and situations and circumstances, you need the sword for that situation. You need the rhema word. You need it. You can't just pray generally. It's not good enough. It'll help, but it's not good enough. You need the rhema word. And he'd found the rhema word. And he began to use the rhema word. Now, it took him th now, he used that word for three weeks with no seeming effect at all. Imagine three weeks. And he didn't give up three weeks. 21 days praying and fasting and praying and fasting. Uh, most people would have given up by then. But what is he doing? He just kept wielding that sword on his knee. Just kept speaking that word. Play, pleading God's mercy. Speaking the word. Pleading God's mercy. And then in three weeks, it's, it's like what we see in this next section. It's like God takes the curtain between the visible and invisible world. Which is one world, by the way. The invisible and visible world. God takes the curtain and opens it and says, do you want to see what takes place when you pray? Do you want to see? Because he's just praying. He's just on his knees praying. He's got no goosebumps or feelings. He's just praying with faith and, and wielding the sword God has given to him for the situation. And then the angel turns up and says, fear not, Daniel, from the first day... You set your heart to understand what's that revelation for the situation. And humbled yourself. Your words have been heard and I've come because of your words. Your prayers release angels from heaven. You might not feel it at the time. Your prayers, what are you doing? You're bridging the gap between heaven and earth. And, well, Daniel, although he's trembling, you wouldn't do it. But you thought maybe Daniel said, well, hey, from the first moment I prayed, my words were heard, and you were sent. Was it, was it busy on the highway from heaven? Was there a traffic jam? Because it's taken you three weeks to come through. Well, there was a bit of a traffic jam, because the angel said that I have come because of your words, but verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. He's not talking about a natural prince. This is an angel. We understand 
that there is spiritual warfare in high places. And angels are linked, fallen angels, a third of the angels fell, fallen angels are linked to nations. And what was happening was the angelic principality, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, rulers, authorities, and the principalities or angels that were involved with the empire of Persia, they saw that deliverance was coming in the spirit to the Israelites and their fall. And so as this angel came down from heaven, isn't it amazing, the first time that he prayed, Father heard him. God heard the first word and responded to it in heaven, yet it took three earth weeks for the breakthrough to come through. Sometimes when we're praying and we say, God, haven't you heard me? He said, I've heard you, the breakthrough's coming. And he was resisted by powers and authority. This angel of breakthrough couldn't get through, was resisted, couldn't get from heaven to earth. But thank God, Daniel kept praying because it was that prayer that was going to get this angel through. Prayer can move angels, you know. And what happened was God said, Michael. And Michael is a prince angel, or what we would call an archangel. Later on in Daniel, you'll see that the angel Michael, he really exists, has one of his roles, he has a special role with the nation of Israel. A special role with the nation of Israel. Don't know much more than that, doesn't say much more than that. But he comes along to help bring the deliverance to earth. Finally, he breaks through and there's a manifestation on the earth from heaven and he says, I've come to let you know that your prayers have been heard and there's still a bit of resistance, but he says later on in verse 20, do you know why I've come to you, but now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. In other words, when the Persian empire was brought down, the Greek empire came in its stead. So we find that prayer changes history and that, that the great battles are going on over history. But the powerful thing here is that Daniel's prayer released things. Now, the greatest spiritual warfare prayer of the Bible is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven is in heaven. But there's a gap between heaven and earth. And we often teach our children, you know, pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And if you come from a Roman Catholic background, as times when you've been naughty, you might have to do 10 Hail Marys or 10 Lord's Prayer. And if you've ever done that, you know, how quickly can you say the Lord's Prayer? You know what I mean? How, how quickly can you say, well, don't do it now, but Hail Mary, Hail Mary for the bread, bless the food of the And you're doing it, because you've got 10 to do. And so the Lord's Prayer can be quite, say, well, we're used to it. But actually, it's a spiritual warfare prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're up there, Lord. You're God. There's none like you. You, you. you aren't a figment of our imagination, and you dwell in holiness. Hallowed is your name. Holy, separated, exalted are you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And thy will be done. Where? On earth. How? As it is in 
heaven. And so that prayer is a bridge gapping, a, 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 a gap bridging prayer. We're saying, God, there's a gap between things on earth and things in heaven and we don't like it. There's a gap between your will in heaven and your will on earth. Your kingdom of heaven, there's a gap on earth. And when we pray it, we're bridging the gap. And the rest of the prayer is a spiritual warfare prayer, as well as a provision prayer, give us our daily bread. It's a spiritual warfare because it says, bridge the gap. Forgive us our sins. Don't let there be anything in us that's preventing the flow of your will. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. It's a bridging gap prayer. We're making sure the bridge is flowing from God to us by not hanging on to, to sins or sinful tendencies or judging. And we're making sure there's no bitterness by releasing others. And then we say, for thine is the power and the glory. Well, before that we say, and deliver us from evil. If that's not a bridging prayer. So you can see the power of minding the gap. And that God is listening. We think of Jesus and his use of the sword of the spirit in spiritual warfare. Isn't it interesting? The first thing Jesus did when he was anointed by the Holy Spirit was go to war with the devil. The first thing he did, he, he didn't first heal the sick. He didn't first raise the dead. He didn't first feed the hungry. He didn't first forgive people's sins. He did all of those things. That was all part of his ministry. But the first thing he did when he got the anointing of the Holy Spirit was take his sword and fight the enemy. And when he fought the enemy, how did he fight the devil? It wasn't like Star Wars with lightsabers or power or physical warfare. It was a battle of the word. And interestingly enough, the devil, the devil did not deny the power of the word. Often the devil's greatest trickery is to say, well, I don't even believe in the Bible. Well, he only does that to weak people. In the spiritual realm, the word of God is recognized. Do you know that? The word of God is recognized. And in the spiritual realm, our prayers are recognized. Especially when it's on the word of God and the rhema of God. And so the devil starts tempting him, and Jesus doesn't chat with him, doesn't talk with him. He just quotes the rhema word. He says, turn those stones into bread. And Jesus says, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. And um, each time the devil tests him, Jesus responds with the right rhema word. Throw yourself off the temple. The devil tries to quote scripture. Throw yourself off the temple for it declares that your foot won't strike the ground. You shall not test the Lord your God. And the devil couldn't handle the rhema word. Can't handle the sword of the spirit. Can't handle the anointed prayer. Can't handle the rhema in your mouth. Can't handle it. Daniel had his rhema. And as he used that rhema, there was all battle going in the heavenlies. He couldn't see. He didn't know what was going on. We don't spend our times in the spirit trying to look at angels and see what's going on. We're not, that, that. But we know that when you're praying, the gap is being bridged. 
the gap between heaven and earth, the gap between grace and judgment, is being bridged by your prayers, being bridged by your priestly intercessory. And something is happening, happening in the spiritual realm. How should we apply this to our lives? Well, knowledge is power. And just knowing these things that I've shared with you, understand that God is leading you to be a priest. A priest. It's your, it's, your, it's your main function. It's your main function. In the Old Testament, there were three offices, prophet, priest, and king. In the New Testament, we move in the prophetic and the anointing of authority. But the most important function of a believer on earth is to be a priest. I mean, to be a priest. I mean, if I can go back to the Roman Catholic Church, yes, they've got it wrong ordaining specific priests because we're all priests. We all have access to God. But even in that model, in that wrong model, what happens is if you want to go to God, you go to the priest. It's the priest that dispenses, I know this is a little bit, you know, simplistic, but it's the priest that dispenses the mercy through the sacraments. You can't do it. You can't do the sacraments. It's the priest that dispenses the forgiveness, forgiveness through absolution. It's the priest that dispenses the grace of God. In Roman Catholic theology, you can't go to God except through the priest. And God comes to you through the priest. Now, thank God, there's loads and loads of saved, spirit-filled Roman Catholics. Priests, nuns, thank God, there's millions of them all over the earth, all going to God, all loving the Lord, and bypassing the actual written doctrine of the church. They just love the Lord, and I recognize that, so, you know, no one, I'm not here to, to, to bash anybody. I'm just talking about the doctrine. And those of you from a Catholic background, this might help you, because we, we're the priests, who are we the priests? Well, we're priests to one another. We can go to God on one behalf, on each other's behalf, and, and intercede for one another. We can go to God, you know, straight by ourselves. But, all, but more importantly, what I'm talking about, we are the priests of London. Get this in your spirit and your mind. You are the priests. We are the priests of London. Not people in collars. Us. You. There are priests in London. London priests, and you are one of them if you're a Christian here tonight. So what I'm challenging and encouraging you is say, well, how is your priestly ministry? You say, what do you mean? Well, your priestly ministry. God is looking to you to go to him on London's behalf. God is looking for you to go to him as a priest on people that don't know the Lord that you know on their behalf. He's looking to you to go... To him on behalf of our government and our government. Don't criticize the government if you don't pray for the government. You're, 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 you as a priest, you're not meant to dispense judgment. Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. He didn't come saying, I'm a priest and I'm going to judge you all. He says, I've come on your behalf. I've come down here to be your priest. I've come here to take your sins. I've come here to cry out for mercy. But the thing about Jesus is he was both priest and sacrifice. So not only did he come to earth to come to the Father on our behalf, he was the sacrifice 
that meant that we could come to the Father in the beginning. Someone had to pay the price for your sins. Somebody had to die. The whole Old Testament sets us up for the New Testament because the Old Testament teaches us again, there is no forgiveness without shedding of blood. So all of those animals, animals, the death of an animal can't deal with human sin, but it was a picture And every time in the Old Testament somebody wanted to get right with God, an animal died. Whether it was a goat or a sheep or a bull, even in the Garden of Eden, the first thing God did when Adam and Eve fell, the first thing he did, having judged them, he judged them, he judged them, then what did he do? He made a method of minding the gap. He took the first animal that ever died in the world and he killed it. And he took the skins, and he clothed them. It wasn't that they were cold. It was a symbolic act. And he clothed them with the blood of this animal. Probably it was a lamb or something. Probably, wasn't it? Death! Sin has to be dealt with by death. Either your death or a sacrifice's death. Let me put it this way. You, and I'm not talking about physical death. Thank God Jesus conquered physical death. I'm talking about spiritual death. Someone's going to die spiritually. Say, what is spiritual death? It's hell. It's hell. It's conscious torment in hell. Hell wasn't prepared for any human beings. It was prepared for the fallen third of angels. Nobody needs to go there when they've heard the gospel. But someone's going to die for your sins. Either you, for eternity, in hell, will taste of that death, or... You can have Jesus who died so that your sins may be forgiven. It's the intercession. And this characteristic needs to be in our lives. We need to be priests. Priests. Because I tell you what, if we begin to plead and say, God, there's a gap. There's a huge spiritual gap in our nation. A huge gap but you're looking for someone and a people to stand in the gap. Come back to Ezekiel 22.30. I looked for somebody to stand in the gap so that I would not judge. God is raising or looking to raise up a new anointed end time priestly church that will not let Europe go to hell. And won't be on the side of the accuser. That's Satan's job. Do you know what? Satan accuses Europe. Do you know that? He accuses it. He wants it destroyed. We're not on the side of the accuser. We're on the side of the priestly intercessor. We are the ones that can stand in the gap. So what I've sought to bring to your spirit today is a number of things. That God, that you are going to make, you can make the difference. Your prayers can make the difference. Your lives can make the difference. Don't think you're nobody. You can stand in the gap for somebody. You can stand in the gap for, and if you don't, who will? If you don't stand in the gap for that somebody that God shows you, who's going to do it? And according to the principle, if no one stands in the gap, that person is going to fall into that gap. But if you stand into the gap, God's going to hear you. I've also taught you the principle of finding the word of God and the rhema of God and God's will, 
not just for us as individuals, but you take the prayer diary that we have each week. In there, there are prophecies for us to take, prophecies over this house that won't just come to pass because we're looking for people that will mind the gap between prophecy and fulfillment and bridge that gap through prayer and obedience. Father, we come to your presence right now and we understand maybe this is the first time for some, some of us. Maybe it's the first time for some of us that we've actually realized, my goodness, I'm a priest. I'm a priest. I, I, I'm, I'm left on earth to bridge the gap for my family, for my cell members and cell, but even bigger than that, for people that don't know the Lord. I can bridge the gap and ask for mercy, not judgment, and God will hear. And not just for people that I know, but in situations. I can, I'm a priest of London. You are a priest of London. You say, I'm not from London. God ordains you while you're in London as a London priest. This nation, oh, can you just see, just look at it in the spirit. Can you imagine across this city, if all of God's people, priests, every Christian, from whatever denomination, whatever denomination, just to believe. Can you imagine if we all began to, in the spirit of you, like lift our hands and begin a priestly intercession to the Father and say, Lord, more grace for the city. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine priests bridging the gap in this city? Every Christian bridging the gap? I've got a feeling that's going to be one of the major things in our next prayer diary in February. I've got a feeling the Lord is going to speak to us about what I'm talking about tonight. And there's going to be a strong flow in the next section of our prayer next year of priestly intercession and grace for the city. I feel that. So I'll just put that in my mind and spirit. Remind me about it. Oh, can you imagine that? I don't think God could resist it. I don't think God could resist it. The priests, his priests all over London from every tribe and nation, every denomination and group, beginning to say, Lord, don't give London what it deserves. Give it mercy. Give it mercy. Grace for the city. Grace for our lives. Start with us. Maybe you need some priestly intercession from a brother priest, a sister priest. We're all priests. God, start with us. Bridge the gaps in our lives. The prophecies I saw earlier over this house, Lord. The words over this house and these individuals. God, have mercy and may they come to pass. Lord, hear our prayer and let angels be released in their thousands from heaven to bring the breakthrough on earth. Jacob's ladder. They can only come through Jesus' intercession. You are the ladder, Lord. But Jacob's ladder, angels descending and ascending. Hallelujah. Release the rhema words. Release the swords for our situations that we might wield them like Daniel, God. Priestly, gracious, merciful people. Oh, we want a priest that's merciful. And Jesus, Hebrews tells us that you're a merciful priest. 
Hebrews tells us that you are a priest that knows our condition and is compassionate for us and lives. And Lord, right now, where would we be if you weren't upholding us? Sacrifice and priest, you are our sacrifice. You are the Lamb of God, but you're the High Priest. We are your priests, your body. Revive us, Lord. Have mercy on your church that we might rise up as mighty priests, mighty priests before God, bridging the gap and minding the gap. And so many people don't mind the gap. So many people don't mind the gap, Lord. They're not bothered about the gap. They're not interested in the gap. They're not minding the gap. People are falling into the gap. Release in the heavenlies and release in your body of Christ. Particularly in London, I feel led to pray across all churches. A priestly anointing, a new priestly anointing. We know, Father, our senior minister prophesied in a cell leaders meeting earlier this year that a new anointing of intercession was coming. And we don't just take that as, oh, we're going to pray more. No, no, it's a priestly anointing. And Holy Spirit, we can't have that without you. So we're opening our spirits and our hearts today and saying, Lord, we prophetically release your word tonight. It's not just a teaching, it's a prophetic word of where we're going and what you want to do in this city, this nation, and even Europe. And although only a few people have heard it, tonight we release it in the name of Jesus into the spiritual realm. We say, let your will be done according to these words. Let your kingdom come on earth, on heaven, Lord, as it is in heaven, through the anointing of the priestly anointing. I just see it so clearly. People's hands raised across the city in the spirit. Bridging the gap between sin and mercy. Turning God's wrath away, which is what God wants. But he refuses to do it apart from his people. Turning away the wrath of God. Judgment of God. It's possible. It is possible. Softening instead of a hardening of London hearts, British hearts, European hearts. Softening, a great softening of the Holy Spirit, Father, we pray. Start in our hearts, Lord. We know that sometimes judgment begins because the church is cold and too much like the world. Well, Lord, separate us as a holy priesthood by the work of your sanctifying spirit. Let there be great supernatural experiences in this house of the holy, separated, consecrated. Consecrate us, Lord. Separate us and divide us from that which we are meant to be interceding for. I see the picture in Zechariah 2, or is it 3? I can't remember. The picture in Zechariah of Joshua, the high priest, who was the high priest in Babylonian captivity. Zechariah, Joshua, the high priest. I see the picture of Zechariah. And he's there in filthy rags. He's the priest. And he's been involved in all manner of idolatry. Joshua, the high priest of the Babylonian era, is filthy in his sin. He is as filthy 
those he's meant to be interceding for. And there's old Satan. Satan's standing, and Satan is accusing Joshua, the priest in Zechariah. You'll find it in that book. Accusing him and demanding that God judge him. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And then the Lord says, Take off his filthy rags. Give him a new turban, a new cloak. Put a ring on his finger. God, in his mercy, wants to come to the church and cleanse us and heal us. And all the filthiness that we may have experienced, God won't hold it against us. God's going to give us a new turban, new priestly robes, if I can put it that way, a new ring of authority, and fit us like Joshua so that we're separated, so that we can function properly as priests. This is your primary call above all calls to be a priest to God of this world. Let's just stand. We're just going to seal this in, in worship. I don't know what song we're thinking of. Yeah, we, we're just going to sing how awesome you are. But as we do that, we're not just singing on ourselves as we close tonight. We're thinking how awesome he is and how he can turn and save a nation in a day. We're not just thinking of him and ourselves. But as we praise him, we're thinking about his grace. And maybe some of us will even intercede for people we know in this city. Go out as priests of London tonight. In Jesus' name.